Welcome to the Miami Valley Church Podcast. We're so excited that you are here with us. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you are going to hear today. We'd love to have you join us online Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at miamivalley.org. If you love the Miami Valley Church Podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Now go, love the valley right where you are. Hey, good morning and welcome to Miami Valley Church. I am so encouraged by all the stories I'm hearing uh, from this week about people sharing the video that we posted last week of taking Jesus into the valley. I'm hearing stories about how people were reached right here in our Dayton area, uh, all around our country and all over the world. I truly believe as we make Jesus known and do our best to trust in him and do good, that he is going to use it to reach people that we had no idea about. Just this week, I got the opportunity to pray with someone whose father is in the last stages of life. And so as I'm driving to the home to go pray with them, I ask God, God, would you just give me an opportunity to share Jesus? Would you soften hearts, God, and just open doors for that to happen today? And so as I come up to uh, the house to go pray with them, I'm expecting two or three people to be there. What ended up being 30 people. And as I got to hold hands with with every single one of them and pray with them, right there in that moment, God allowed me to share Jesus with 30 people in that house. And so it just goes to show again how great our God is. I don't tell you that to boast about anything that I could ever do, but to tell you about how great our God is. And when we obey Him and when we step out in faith and trust Him and do good, He is going to do what only He can do. And so I am encouraged, I am excited as we make Jesus known to see how he is gonna use us to love and share Jesus with this valley. I am excited as we get into the word today as Dr. Cox shows us how Jesus is all throughout scripture. Let's get into it. John 5:39 You search the scriptures because you think they will give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me Today we begin a new teaching series. It's gonna take us through the end of the year called Make Jesus Known. And we're gonna be doing a survey of the scriptures. I'm so excited uh, to get into that. As we shared with you last week, we believe that God has got us in a season not of interruption, but of disruption. And it's from the very beginning, it's hard to believe that it's been seven months this week uh, since we last had our last service in a building. And I'm so excited about all the things God's doing during this season. And as the churches continue to grow and continue to share Jesus. but As we said, it's not an interruption, it's a disruption. And I shared with you from the start that I believe that this is a season that can be compared to the biblical period of the wilderness. And we showed you last week as we dug into God's word that during the wilderness period, God organized his people around the word, he organized them around community, and he organized them around sacrificial service or or worship. And so we believe with all of our hearts that it's so important. Psalm 77 says this, that God, your 
a road led to a pathway through the sea, a pathway no one knew was there. The next verse says, you led your people like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. One of the tasks that we've seen, uh, Pastor Wooldridge, Pastor Molendor, and I have seen is the task of shepherding is so different during this this season. And part of the task of the shepherd is to take the sheep to the place where they can can feed the best. And we believe with all of our hearts, the place we need to be feeding the best is with an understanding of God's word. During these last seven months, it has just torn my heart apart as I've walked with people through uh, death and disease, through funerals, through through pain, and through all kinds of turmoil. As I've watched and people in the midst of those kind of crises just haven't known where to turn. They haven't known what God's Word said. They say to me, well, God's Word says this, but it's not anywhere close to God's Word. It's pop philosophy that they're hanging on to. So we think it's incredibly important as the shepherds of this flock known as Miami Valley Church that we that we go through the Word of God. And so we're going to go fast during the next 12 weeks. We're going to get all the way through the Word of God. Some of you uh, this past February joined me in the challenge to read through the Bible in a month. Some of you didn't read through it, but you listened to it, and it's just made a difference during this COVID season in your life and in my life. And so we just want to encourage you to do that again through these next 12 weeks. Read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and just follow along as we go. But as we go through the Word of God, I want to make a couple of things clear from the start. Number one, during this series, we're going to be using one translation. We're encouraging you all, as you memorize the verse for the week, to memorize it out of the New Living Translation. There are a lot of great English translations, and as we go through books of the Bible next year, we'll use different English translations. But this year, we're using the New Living Translation. The remainder of this year, we're using the New Living Translation. Uh, along those lines, I want you to understand that our purpose, our purpose every time we teach you for the Word of God, comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. God's Word says this, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love. The goal of our instruction, friends, is love. It's not to give you information. It's not to make us smarter. It's not so that we can quote more Bible verses, but it's so that these Bible verses that we hide in our hearts will allow us to fill the great commands that Jesus said that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Have you figured it out that our verse for the decade, trust the Lord and do good, is about fulfilling those two commandments? When I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I trust Him. And when I trust Him, I love my neighbor as I love myself, and I do good for them, and I do good in the world. Trust the Lord and do good. Love God and love your neighbor. So our purpose in teaching this is, is love. Our prayer and the prayer we want you to join with us in as we go through this comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. After Paul had told the church in Thessalonica, here's how I prayed for you, he said, here's how you can pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 says this, pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes. Pray that the Lord's message, other translations say, pray that the word of God, pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. Friends, that's what we're praying for. That's what we're asking, that God's word would spread rapidly and it would be honored in each and every one of our lives. We'd be faithful, not just hearers of the word, but doers. That's how God's word is honored. So that's our purpose. That's our our, our prayer. And here's our plan. To do what Jesus did on that first Easter Sunday morning, after he had risen from the grave, uh, later in the day, as a couple of his disciples, uh, a couple of the disciples of Jesus were walking on the road back to their hometown of Emmaus. And nobody knows exactly where that is, but they think it's about seven miles away from Jerusalem. As they're walking along the road, Jesus appears and starts talking to them. And he asks them why they're so sad. And they're like, because of 
the things that has happened to Jesus that we thought that he was going to be the Messiah. We thought that he was the one, but it's the third day and we haven't seen him and nobody's seen him. And Luke 24, 27 says this, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Jesus just went through the scriptures and explained everything about himself because Jesus on another occasion, John chapter five says this, says you search, search the scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. So for these next 12 weeks starting today, we're just going to go through every book of the Bible and say, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. So I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to grab something to take notes with. I want you to grab a pen, your tablet, whatever it is, because we're going to be giving you a lot of scripture references. Today, we make Jesus known through the first five books of the Old Testament, what we would call the Pentateuch, meaning five, or what some of our Jewish friends refer to as the Torah, the law of God, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. By the way, I want you to remember that the criterion by which all scripture should be interpreted is Jesus Christ, that all the stories of the Bible tell his story. It's the story of redemption. It's the story of his love. So let's look at how these five books of Moses point us to Jesus. So beginning with Moses, on one occasion, Jesus is talking and recorded in John chapter five. And he says, if you really believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Jesus himself says Moses wrote about him. He says, but since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? And some of us that say, oh, I like the Jesus material in the New Testament, but I can't buy into what the scriptures teach in the Old Testament about creation and some of those other things. If you really believe what Moses wrote, then you believe about Jesus. If you don't believe what Moses wrote, then you can't believe about Jesus because Moses wrote about Jesus. Do you see how important it is to see Jesus in every part of the scripture? So in Genesis, we call it Genesis, but the Hebrew name for the book is beginnings or in the beginning is the first word in the beginning God created. So I wonder if Jesus went to the books of Moses, did he, did he start with creation? I, I think he did. And I wonder as he told them about creation, did he say something to them like recorded for us in the book of Colossians in the New Testament, chapter one, verse 15 and following Christ is the invisible image of the invisible, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else and he holds creation, all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I wonder as Jesus talked about creation, did he say to them something like Colossians 1, I existed before creation, and the word that was spoken, that was me speaking everything to existence. Everything was created by me and for me and through me. Friends, creation itself tells the story of Jesus. I wonder as Jesus tells the story of creation and he gets to the culminating act of God's creation, the the man and the woman. I wonder if Jesus said something to those disciples on the road to Emmaus, like he said, like recorded for us in Romans chapter five, listen, as he talks about Adam. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of the one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to... 
Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Adam is a symbol. And I think Jesus, as we was talking about Moses and the story of Moses, look, there I am in creation. I spoke it into existence. There I am in a symbol of Adam, but I'm greater than Adam. As one, his, as uh, all of us die because of Adam, uh, all of us live because of Jesus's death. And so there's the picture. I wonder if Jesus is, going through Genesis, then takes them to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after after our, our uh, spiritual parents uh, believe the lie of the enemy when he came and said to God, really say, and the serpent comes and he tempts them. God had said to Adam and Eve, you can have everything in the garden except that one tree over there, because God always reserves a portion for himself. And, and Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness. And when we doubt God's goodness, we're going to ditch God's word and we're going to believe whatever it is. And so they are spiritual parents aid and we've tasted the consequences of their disobedience ever since. But right there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is what theologians call the first gospel. Genesis 3, 15, God, as, as speaking to the serpent and cursing him to be on his belly all the days of its life, says this, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You're going to try to destroy the work of Jesus, but you're only going to nip at his heel but he's going to crush your head. You are not greater. He is greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Genesis 3.15. I wonder if he's, as Jesus is talking to his disciples going through the book of Genesis, if it gets to Genesis 11 and says, mankind just continued to flee, but God continued to pursue. And mankind wanted to build a city and a tower to make a name for themselves, but God caused confusion. He created Babel. And the very next thing he does is he chooses someone to be a blessing in the midst of the Babel. And he chooses a man named Abraham. And we know that that uh, Abraham from Matthew chapter one, I wonder if Jesus does what Matthew did in Matthew chapter one, says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that he ties this blessing back to Abraham. I want you to see that God chose Abraham and through him the nations of the world will be blessed and Jesus is the fulfillment of that blessing and Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. I wonder if Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet when uh, God the Father is speaking to his servant son and he says, it is too small a thing for you to settle. Isaiah 49, 6 is too small a thing for you to settle to just be a light to my to the Jewish people. You will be a light to the Gentiles, to the nations. I wonder if Genesis 12 Jesus talks to them about him being a blessing, not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. And then I wonder, as he tells the story of the patriarchs, the fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God. His name's changed, changed to Israel. He has sons who literally become the sons of Israel, and one of them is named Judah. I wonder if he tells them from uh, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler uh, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belonged, the one to whom all nations were honored. Jesus is not only the blessing to all the nations, he's the ruler of the entire world. He's the ruler of all nations from the creation all the way through the story of the patriarchs to the end of the book of Genesis. There's Jesus. Do you see him in the beginnings? 400 years of silence exists between the book of Genesis, the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Exodus. 
And I wonder, as Jesus gets into the book of Exodus, which really, uh, that's our English name or the, the Latin name, but really the Hebrew name is, these are the names, these are the names. I wonder, as Jesus tells the story of the Exodus, does he stop and say, hey, have you? does it make sense to you now that there were, that there were 400 years of silence between um, the exit between Genesis and Exodus and God's people were in misery and they cried out to God and God heard their cry and he sent them a rescuer and a deliverer and a redeemer. Just like that, just there were 400 years of silence between the last prophet Malachi and John the Baptist and God's people were in misery and he heard their cry and he sent them a rescuer and a redeemer named Jesus. These are the names. His name is Jesus. I wonder if Jesus, as he told about Exodus, he he told them that when he sent Moses to be the rescuer and the redeemer, he, he said, Okay, I, if I go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, uh, who do I say sent me? In Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter three, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you, that his name is I am. I wonder if Jesus in those moments on that road to Emmaus, I wonder if he then went through the seven I am statements in the, in the gospel of John. Did he say, did you hear me say while I walked the planet, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine, the seven I am statements. And that's what got me killed because I claim to be God himself. I wonder, did he talk about that as he talked about Exodus? I wonder as he talked about Exodus, did he talk about the tabernacle? I think he had to because Exodus tells us that God in his pursuit of his people always wants to dwell with them. Exodus 25, 2, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them, so I can dwell among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And I think on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus is explaining everything about himself in the books of Moses, he talks to them about the tabernacle. Think with me about the tabernacle for just a minute. The tabernacle, it's it's surrounded and there's only one door in to the courtyard. We see the symbolism revealed that there's only one way in to the presence of God. There is no other uh, entrance. There is no other alternative. And Jesus is going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I wonder if Jesus says something like Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, there's one God and mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one way. We see that in the tabernacle. There's Jesus. As you enter into the courtyard of the tabernacle, you see the altar of burnt offerings. It's where the people would of God would come and bring their animal sacrifice, but it wasn't just any animal sacrifice. It had to be a perfect animal, and they would take the animal, and they would place it on the altar, and they would place their hands as if symbolically transferring their sin on to the perfect animal where it was offered as a sacrifice, where there was a need for a substitute suffer. I wonder if Jesus says, do you see there on the altar uh, uh, a burnt offering that I am the substitute suffer? I became your sacrifice. I am the Lamb of the God who takes away the sin of the world, as John would say in John chapter 1. As you move past the altar of burnt uh, the the burnt offering, you come to the bronze laver. It's the place where you, they, the people, as they come to offer their sacrifices, would take water and they would wash their hands and they would wash their feet. And they had to do it every time they came to offer sacrifice. It was a continuous cleansing that was required because the people continued to get dirty. And if their hands and their feet weren't clean, then the sacrifice wouldn't be accepted. I wonder if Jesus says in this moment, uh, what was recorded in the book of Hebrews, Jesus provided the purification for our sins, that he died once for all, that there's no more cleaning, cleansing needed because Jesus cleansed us all once and for all. Move past the outer court of the tabernacle and move into the holy place where there are three articles of furniture. There's uh, the table of showbread, there's the lampstand, 
and there's the altar of incense. I think Jesus is going to point to each one of these. He's going to say, look, there on the on the table of showbread, there are 12 loaves of bread that represent the 12 tribes of Israel, that represent all the people that are going to be covered, that represent the fact that God gave manna in the wilderness. He gave you everything you need. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think he's going to say, as a table of showbread, look, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. God sent true bread from heaven. It's a picture of Jesus there on the table of showbread. Move past the table of showbread and you see the, the lampstand, the huge, what we would say, menorah that's there to, to represent the light. It's filled with oil and the high priest and the priests are going to tend to it uh, every day. But the light symbolizes Jesus. John's gospel tells us, John chapter one, verse nine, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone. Again, Jesus is gonna say, John chapter eight, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There it is in the tabernacle, the light that points to Jesus. Look at the altar of incense. The altar of incense is the place where where the high priest and only the high priest could go. And it's it's the picture of, of prayers being offered to God, continual prayers being offered. And Jesus is our high priest. He's our mediator. He's the one who prays on our behalf. I wonder if Jesus said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, what's recorded for us in Hebrews 7, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them there in the in the holy place, the table of showbread, the, the lampstand, and the altar of incense is, is Jesus. And then right behind the altar of incense, uh, there's the curtain, the curtain that separates the holy place from the holiest of holy places, that nothing can enter into that. Only the high priest can enter into the holy of holies one day a year on the day of atonement. But we know because of Jesus that Jesus tore down the curtain. Hebrews 10, 19, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. That curtain, Jesus said, it points to me. Go behind the curtain uh, that was torn down when Jesus died, when it was ripped apart. Go behind that and you're now in the holy of holies where you see the ark of the covenant and the ark of the covenant that contains the commands of God and the ark of the covenant that has the mercy seat, the place where Jesus dwells, where we can come and we can receive mercy. The place that's sprinkled with blood, the mercy that's been sprinkled because of the blood of Jesus Christ. My friends, as he walks through the book of Exodus, he tells them about the I am and he tells them about, hey, there I am in the tabernacle over and over again. Everything points to Jesus and it should not surprise us that when the author named John writes his gospel, he says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The exact translation of dwelt among us, he tabernacled. Jesus is the tabernacle. He is with us forever. He talked about himself in Genesis. He talked about himself in Exodus. He talked about himself in Leviticus. And you and I, when we read through the Bible or we listen through the Bible, Leviticus is just about always where we check out because it's filled with all of these burnt offerings and all of these sacrifices and all of these rules and all of these regulations. And we see so much law, but we miss the grace. But I want you to see the grace that is in the book of Leviticus. It reminds me that when John says he talked about God, we beheld his glory as if the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. Leviticus is full of grace. It's full of truth. It's the right way to walk with God in holiness. It's the right way to work for God. It's the right way to trust God and to do good. The high priest is the picture 
Listen to Leviticus 9, 7. Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering to purify yourself and the people. Then present the offerings of the people to purify them, making them right with the Lord just as he commanded. You want to be right with God Almighty? The only way to do it is through the sacrifice that was offered. And the sacrifice that was offered is Jesus. He became the substitute sufferer. There it is again in Leviticus. It's the high priest. He offered the sacrifice. The high priest role from Hebrews chapter 5 tells us is to act on behalf of men in relationship to God, to offer uh, gifts and sacrifices for sins. And Jesus did that. And once he had offered the sacrifice as a great high priest, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father because his work was done once and for all. Listen to what Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 9. When Christ came as a high priest, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered by the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. Leviticus points us to our great high priest. If you struggle with the book of Leviticus and you want to find grace and truth, let me encourage you to read Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19 is known as the holiness code. And it starts this way. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That we are to walk just like Jesus walked. If we walk in the way of love, we walk in the way of holiness. Look at Leviticus and find out how you're supposed to work and walk just like Jesus did. But also in the book of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 6 on one occasion, Jesus asked, hey, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, easy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Right there, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 6, we find Jesus as the one who loves every human being and the one who's going to love them and offer for them what only the great high priest could offer, sacrifice for their sins, love and forgiveness. There's Jesus in Leviticus. Then what about numbers? What about numbers? The The book of numbers should better be translated uh, in the in the wilderness, as we talk about being in the wilderness, we we start, find this time where where God's people allow discontentment, impatience, and fear to lead to rebellion, disobedience, and sin against God, and all these things point us that 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 we fail and we fail over and over again. But the book of Numbers reminds us that Jesus is loving and forgiving. Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion. Numbers 15, 25, the priest will purify the whole community of Israel, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. But what I really want you to focus in on in the book of Numbers is Numbers chapter 2. Numbers chapter 2 says this in verse 2. When the Israelites set up camp, remember they're following the tabernacle. As they set up the tabernacle, each tribe is assigned its own area. The tribal divisions will camp beneath their family banners on all four sides of the tabernacle, but at some distance from it. So God's 12 tribes are divided into, into four camps, each camp with three tribes, and they're named by the tribe that's got the biggest population. So Judah, Ephraim, Reuben, and Dan. So Judah's on the east side of the tabernacle, and its banner is a lion. Ephraim on the south side, its banner is an ox. Reuben, uh, Reuben uh, its banner is a man. And Dan, its banner is an eagle. And I point that out to you very simply because I want you to get a preview. Look at the book of Revelation. Remember, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 4, 6. Remember the banners? Lion, ox, man, eagle. Revelation 4, 6 through 8. 
talking about heaven. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living creatures was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. The fourth was like an eagle. Sound familiar to the tribes around the tabernacle, now around the throne. Each of these living beings had six wings, and on their wings were covered with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty gathered around the throne. And so we see a picture of heaven with the way how Jesus is going to be worshipped, but I want you to see another picture. God gives us the exact number of people that were camped on each side. You can read it for yourself in Numbers chapter 2, but what I want you to see is that if you had the ability to look at the tabernacle and how the people are encamped around it, Jesus is in the center because he is the tabernacle, right? We saw that in the book of Exodus, but look now at this picture. If you're looking from a distance, what the encamped people would have looked like around the tabernacle. Isn't that amazing? It's the picture of a cross. Jesus in the center, coming not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There he is, Jesus, in every picture. And finally, the book of Deuteronomy, as Jesus begins with Moses. Deuteronomy is basically three sermons by Moses that talk about redemption. Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 14 say this, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God knows that we, his people, have a tendency to forget, and he does not want us to forget, and what he wants us to remember is Jesus. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, we begin to see Moses and what he has to say. But what we, one of the things Moses says, Moses says this, verse 15 of chapter 18, Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you yourselves have requested of the Lord your God when you assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, don't let us hear the voice of the Lord God anymore or see this blazing fire for we will die. And the Lord answered, what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I commanded him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the message of the prophet that he proclaims on my behalf. My friends, God's word says that Jesus came and he was the prophet greater than Moses. That God's people were waiting for another prophet like Moses. That had been prophesied. What did Moses do? Moses did three things. First of all, Moses performed miracles. Moses did miracles uh, so that a single nation could be brought to worship God. By the way, the first miracle Moses did was he turned water into blood. The first miracle Jesus did, he turned water into wine. Moses's miracles pointed to death. Jesus's miracles point to life. He's a prophet greater than Moses. On one occasion, John chapter six, after Jesus had fed the 5,000, God's word says this, therefore the people who saw this sign, which Jesus had performed said, this is the prophet who'd come into the world. We've been waiting for him. We saw the sign just like Moses. Second thing Moses did was he spoke the words of God. He talked with God face to face and he communicated what God had to say. John chapter seven says this, when the crowds heard Jesus say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we'd been expecting. This is the one who spoke the words of God. And the third thing that Moses did is he wanted to be an intermediary. He wanted to be a sin bearer. Listen to Exodus 32. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Moses said, God, let me take their sin on my behalf. Judge them according to me. Let me be the substitute suffering. God said, no. But Jesus came, 
And he was the substitute sufferer, the prophet greater than Moses, who did miracles, who spoke the word, and who bore the sin of God's people that only he could bear. There's Jesus in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's a lot in a brief period of time. And I want to leave you with this. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 through 20 says this. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness to the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Friends, that's the key to your life, to choose Jesus. God has set before you today uh, a choice. Life and death, blessing or curse, and you get to choose. And I pray that you would choose life, that you would choose Jesus, of all the things that I love about the books of Moses, here's the one I want to leave you with as you think about choosing Jesus. The scriptures begin in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the Hebrew word that starts the Bible, starts with the letter B. And scholars have asked from the time the scriptures have written, how come God's word begins with the letter B and not with the letter A? How come it begins with the second letter and not the first letter? As the Bible's coming to end in the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, 13, Jesus says this, I'm the first letter of the alphabet and I'm the last. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There's Jesus before creation, ready to create because he loves you, because he wants a relationship with you and he's pursuing you. And he is Adam, he is Abraham, he is seen in all of those things and he offers you today a choice. Would you choose him, the one who's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end? And if you've taken him for granted, would you allow the music that you're about to hear to take you to the place you need to be, all eyes on Jesus? Oh
this song takes you back to the beginning. I hope it resets your focus, resets your gaze upon Jesus. Maybe you don't know who he is. Let me share who Jesus is. For God so loved us that he gave Jesus, his only son, to die for us so that we may have life. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died a death on a cross and was placed in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose and now is seated in heaven and he is coming back for us one day. And that should give us joy. If you've never said yes to Jesus, If you don't know where you're gonna spend your eternity, it's as simple as saying this. God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I admit that I do wrong and I need Jesus. Lord, today I believe in him. I believe what he came to this earth to do. And today I invite him into my heart. As we've been praying corporately as a church, God, how would you have us love and share Jesus with this valley? I think we can even make it personal. God, how would you have me love and share Jesus with this valley? Because friends, I am not Miami Valley Church. Dr. Cox is not Miami Valley Church. Pastor Kevin is not Miami Valley Church. We are Miami Valley Church. And as important as it is to pray corporately as a church, I believe God wants to use each and every one of us individually to go out and love and share Jesus with this valley. And so as we trust the Lord and do good, let's go out and make Jesus known.